Have you ever been in love? It begins with a rush of euphoria, an intoxicating feeling that can overwhelm your senses. Your thoughts are consumed by the person who has captured your heart. You find yourself daydreaming about them, unable to focus on anything else, and eagerly awaiting your next encounter. But when love is unreciprocated, its intensity can become a breeding ground for obsession, anger, and passionate hatred. This is the story of Ivy Wangeshi. This is True Crime Kenya. Thika. An industrial town in Kiambu County, central Kenya, Thika is known for its beautiful waterfalls, vast pineapple farms, and canning factories. Thika is a relatively small town with a population of just under 300,000 and located about 40 kilometers from our capital city, Nairobi. It was here that Ivy Wangeshi and Naftali Kinuthia first became acquainted as classmates in a kindergarten in Gatanga, where they grew up together. After some time, Ivy's family moved to Thika town and Naftali's family moved to Nakuru and they lost touch, but they were soon reacquainted as primary school classmates at Bishop Juguna Academy after Naftali's family returned to Thika, having been displaced by post-election violence. By all accounts, they had an ordinary friendship as classmates and neighbors and had no known negative interactions. Their families grew to know each other as neighbors and friends. None of them could have imagined what major tragedy would one day befall their lives. Ivy Wangeshi Gidhui was born on 10th April 1994 to her parents Winfred Kingori and Paul Wainaina, both high school teachers. Ivy, the eldest of her two siblings, was raised in a Christian family with her sister Cheryl and her brother Elvis. Her family and friends describe her as an extremely intelligent, generous, beautiful and consistent part of their lives. At a young age, Ivy developed an interest in medicine, and inspired by her uncles, she made up her mind to pursue a career in medicine, planning to specialize in neurosurgery. Ivy excelled in her primary education and earned a position at the prestigious Alliance Girls High School, the top-performing national school in Kiambu County, Kenya. At Alliance, Ivy became among the top performing students and in 2011, she excelled in her Kenya Certificate of Secondary Education, scoring straight A's in all subjects with her lowest grade being an A- minus in English. In 2012, Ivy was admitted to study medicine and surgery at Moi University in Eldoret, Kenya on a government scholarship. Following various delays caused by the doctor's strike, she was set to graduate in 2019. Little is publicly known about Naftali's upbringing, but he comes from a successful family in Thika town, known for running several businesses, including bookshops and rental apartments. He was 28 years old at the time of the incident and had completed a course in software. 
In an interview with KTN News, his mother Nancy Namanyara described him as a calm and quiet young man, stating that she had never had an argument with him. After completing primary school, Ivy and Naftali lost touch for a number of years and then randomly reconnected with each other on Facebook in 2018. They began to communicate regularly and exchange numbers. Naftali was immediately taken by Ivy's confidence and beauty and expressed his romantic interest in her. In an interview, Naftali's mother recalled that he had once showed her photos of Ivy on his phone, saying that when he made it in life one day, his dream was to marry her. There is no indication that Ivy ever expressed that she shared this dream or ever saw him as more than a friend. Over the next several months, Naftali resolved to do everything in his power to win Ivy over. He sent her gifts and sometimes sent her money, which her friends and family insist she never needed or requested from him. One weekend, he offered to make the five-hour drive to Eldoret to give Ivy and her friends a lift back home at the end of the school term. This meant a 10-hour round trip for Naftali, as none of the other passengers had a license or knew how to drive. Ivy protested and would not accept the offer, but after Naftali persisted, she finally agreed and he made the trip, dropping Ivy and her friends off at their individual homes after the long rides. On another occasion, one of Ivy's close friends was celebrating her birthday at a club in Westlands, a middle-class and somewhat expensive suburb of Nairobi City. Ivy was a guest at this party, along with a few other friends, and the party was winding down when Naftali showed up and paid the entire 14,000 shilling bill, although, according to her friend, no one had asked him to. After the party, Naftali asked Ivy to go home with him, but she declined. Weeks went by, and Ivy began to complain to her friends about Naftali's behavior. She said that he was nagging her to get into a relationship with him, but she didn't want to. He had continued to drive to her school and wait hours at the gate to see her. On a number of occasions, Ivy had refused to see him and he had left without seeing her, heartbroken and disappointed. Gradually, his frustration turned to rage. Naftali began to send threatening text messages to Ivy, demanding a refund for all the money he had spent on her. Her friends begged her to tell her parents and report the stalking to the police, but she downplayed the threats and chose to cut off communication with Naftali instead. When he realized that he was blocked from texting or calling her, Naftali told Ivy's friends that he had reported Ivy to the local police for insulting him and for the money she owed him. Naftali said that Ivy was now wanted by the police and would need to report to the nearest station to make a statement. After further questioning, Naftali apologized and confessed that he was lying about the police case to force Ivy to meet with him and talk. As her silence continued, Naftali became more desperate and started to show up unannounced at the hostel where she lived claiming that he wanted to talk to her friend. 
When neither of them would speak to him, he waited at the dorm gate for hours. April 2019 Ivy's 25th birthday was approaching and she wanted to celebrate with her friends. It is unclear how they got back in contact, but Ivy told Naftali that she wanted to throw a party, but the total cost amounted to 28,000 shillings, money she did not have. Naftali quickly sent her 14,000 shillings and insisted on meeting with her face-to-face to deliver the rest of the money to her at the party. It's not clear what happened next, but Naftali later claimed that after receiving the money, Ivy switched off her phone and stopped responding to his questions about the party. On 8th April 2019, Naftali called his mom at around 8pm. She described his tone and conversation as normal. He asked about his siblings, told her that he was going to work the night shift, and said good night. There was nothing unusual about the conversation. At 6 a.m. on 9th April 2019, Naftali Kinuthia completed his work shift at a credit finance company, said goodbye to his colleagues, and got into his car. He'd been going through the motions throughout his work shift. His mind was on Ivy. He had finally heard from her after weeks of no contact. He had sent money for her birthday. He was looking forward to seeing her again. Tomorrow was her birthday. He called and called and called. But her phone was switched off. Naftali drove the familiar 300 kilometers from Nairobi to Moy University Eldoret determined to confront Ivy. He parked his car and waited. After some time, Ivy appeared, walking with a fellow intern and friend, Andrew. They had just completed their medical rounds and were going to have lunch. Naftali approached her and asked why she had gone quiet and what was going on. In an interview, he later said, quote, She told me that I was not invited to the party and that I should immediately leave. I was so shocked by what she was saying. At that point, I didn't even answer. I knew she had burned all the bridges and there was no way I would restore our relationship. End quote. In another interview, he described the way he felt in that moment. Quote, In my mind, I felt like a loser and hopeless because of what she said. I became angry and felt bad that the connection we had over all these years had suddenly come to an end. At that point, I went back to my car and decided I would never talk to her again." According to Naftali, as he was getting back into the car, he turned around to take one last look and saw Ivy hugging her male friend around 50 meters away. He had never seen the man she was hugging, but later came to know him as Andrew Masharia. Police reports contradict Naftali's story. Detective investigations revealed that 
Naftali had briefly managed to speak with Ivy after making the long drive to see her. She had told him that she still had work to do and couldn't talk to him in that moment, but they agreed to meet at the end of her workday. Naftali then drove off and tried to call her during his drive, at which point he discovered that she had switched her phone off again. Detectives stated that Naftali then flew into a rage, drove to Eldorit town and purchased a knife and axe at the markets. Naftali was allegedly so enraged that he took these weapons to a sharpening booth in Eldorit town where the weapons were sharpened for some time. He is then alleged to have placed them in his car and returned to Ivy's campus. Again, Naftali contradicted the detective's version of events, stating that he had kept an axe in his car for over a year and had originally bought it for protection because he often worked nights and felt unsafe driving home late after work. There was much debate both online and in the courtroom about the circumstances leading to Ivy's murder, but there was no debating what happened next. Ninth April, 2019. Lunchtime on a busy university campus. Students ducking to and from class, catching up with each other, rushing to grab their lunch. Teachers walking between buildings. Delivery drivers dropping off lunch orders. In full view of more than a dozen people, Naftali took the knife and axe out of his car and quickly walked towards Ivy. He brutally swung the axe, striking her on the left side of her neck and head. Witnesses say that the attack was so sudden and Ivy was completely caught off guard. She had no time to understand what was happening. It was over in seconds. One scream, and she lost consciousness. Witnesses tried to intervene and disarm her frenzied attacker, but he began to wield the knife in one hand, pointing it at members of the public while wielding the axe in the other. He shuffled back and forth, trying to keep the mob away from Ivy. His selfish rage satisfied, he was trying to think of ways to save himself. The crowd grew bigger and bigger and angrier and angrier. Screams emanated as Ivy's friends and classmates watched helplessly as she began to bleed out. People streamed out of buildings to see what the chaos was about. The crowd began to close in wanting to disarm the deranged attacker, needing to save Ivy. They began to pelt Naftali with large rocks. He dropped his weapons. The mob descended on him, delivering much-deserved street justice. The police arrived just in time, shielding him from the mob and essentially saving his worthless, pathetic life. Naftali sustained skull fractures and facial injuries, but he survived, a grace not afforded to Ivy Wangeshi.
A pathology report concluded that Ivy's cause of death was a major laceration to the left side of her neck, severing primary blood vessels, transporting blood to the brain. Ivy succumbed to hypovolemic shock or excessive blood loss. She also suffered fractures to her neck and head. She was pronounced dead at the scene. A police officer rescued Naftali from the angry mob and ironically rushed him to the emergency department of the very same hospital where Ivy had just completed the last medical rounds she would ever do in her life. Her last day of work before her career had even began. While undergoing treatment, Naftali Kinuthia was charged with murder. On 15th April 2019, Naftali Kinuthia, the sole suspect in the gruesome killing of Moy University student Ivy Wangeshi, appeared in an Eldoret court and was charged with her murder. 29-year-old Naftali was significantly disfigured, bearing fresh surgical stitches and a large dent on the top of his skull. Courtesy of the angry mob days before. Naftali pleaded not guilty to the charges and the prosecution told the court that a mental assessment conducted on him had confirmed that he was fit to stand trial. Ivy's mother, Winifred Waidera, told the court that her firstborn daughter was a hard-working, focused and self-driven girl who was in her sixth and final year of medical school. Quote, she was obedient and soft-spoken. She would not argue with anyone even if she didn't agree with them, not even with her siblings or me, she recounted. She disputed claims that the suspect, Kinuthia, was her daughter's boyfriend who used to shower her with goodies. Further, she said that she only knew Kinuthia as Ivy's classmate before she transferred to another school. Winifred maintained that she had always provided for her daughter's academic and basic needs alongside Wangeshi's father, adding that their daughter had not introduced them to any man as her boyfriend. She told the court that she had communicated with her daughter two days before the murder and that Ivy had not reported any threats to her by anyone. She only recalled one instance where her daughter called her, informing her that she had a new phone number, although she did not provide any reasons for changing it. Ivy's friend and classmate, Andrew, had been walking by her side on the day she was attacked. He recounted how Naftali attacked Ivy with an axe. He told the court that he and Ivy were heading to class from the university hostels when they decided to grab some food in a cafe on the footpath just next to the main college entrance. On their way, he saw someone creeping right behind him, holding an axe. Quote, I ran towards the hostel, but Ivy fell down. I tripped, and when I turned to look back, I saw him hit Ivy twice in the head with the axe. Afterwards, he tried to run away, but when the crowd was forming, they tried to stop him. He started swinging the axe against them. End quote. He recalled that the perpetrator was wearing a grey cap, a light blue shirt, and a dark grey jacket which the prosecution presented as exhibits in the court alongside the axe and knife which were recovered from the scene.
an Eldoret-based farmer who was at the scene, told the court that he had just completed a medical checkup at St. Luke's Hospital and was walking to Eldoret Town at around 10 a.m. when he heard a scuffle about 10 meters in front of him. Quote, I saw a slim man attacking a woman dressed in a white dust coat. He attacked her twice and I tried throwing a stone at him to stop him from further attacking the woman, but he ran towards me with a knife in his hand. I tried to avoid him, end quote, said the farmer. He added that before the accused was arrested, he was surrounded by motorcycle riders known in Kenya as Boda Boda riders who were pelting stones at him. Ivy's uncle John Kingori testified that their family had received a call from the school dean informing them of the death of their daughter. Representing the family, he attended the morgue to identify her body. Dr. Benson Macharia, a pathologist at the hospital, said that the autopsy conducted on the deceased on April 10, 2019, showed that she had suffered deep cuts on the left side of her head and neck, confirming her cause of death as hypovolemic shock. Naftali's lawyers pleaded with Justice Stephen Gilinji to allow the suspect to be released on bail, but the prosecution successfully objected the bail application. The whole country and Kenyans in the diaspora were fixated on the case, appealing for justice to be served. There was a sense of outrage, with many people wishing that the angry mob had successfully ended Naftali's life. There was confusion about how Naftali had managed to inflict such fatal damage to Ivy in front of so many helpless witnesses, and among the online chatter and conversation grew a morbid curiosity bordering on victim blaming. People began to wonder what Ivy could possibly have done to drive Naftali to such rage. What did she do to make him kill her? Vicious rumors and theories began to circulate about Ivy and speculation grew about potential reasons for Naftali's actions. Some online comments labeled her a slay queen. For those unfamiliar with the term, a slay queen is defined as a young female gold digger who is active on social media and creates the perception that she can afford a lavish lifestyle on her own. There were rumors that she had used Naftali for money several times. The most vicious rumors were that Ivy had infected Naftali with a sexually transmitted disease, although there was no evidence that they had ever been in a romantic or intimate relationship at any point. In the midst of her family's shock and grief, they were forced to hold a press conference and speak to the media about the allegations. We have not had any time that Ivy was sick malicious rumors that she could have infected. That is all the rumors that the devil can bring to people who are in their lowest moments. So that IV of the social media. Gentlemen and ladies, I want to tell you that she does not exist in this compound. The hearing was scheduled to commence on June 10, 2019. Ivy was laid to rest in an emotional ceremony at her parents' rural home in Mahiga, Nyeri County. 
friends and family eulogized Ivy as a jovial, beautiful, and intelligent friend and family member. Local political leaders, including her area MP, attended the funeral demanding justice and condemning cyberbullying and stalking. For the memory of Ivy, we need a broader conversation about what is happening in our country and what is happening with our young people particularly. I think that's the biggest tribute we can give to Ivy. And to young people, I'll tell you what you've been told here. It is challenging and it's difficult, but you have to learn how to walk away. But again, as you've been told, you will not walk alone. There are enough young boys and girls that you walk with, so it is not a matter of life and death. But beyond that, I think as parents also and as adults, we have a problem. The problem is, we become the doctors, the pharmacists, the nurses of these young people. We try to understand what is wrong with them without asking them what is the problem. The case became subject to numerous delays. COVID restrictions and illnesses meant that courts were shut down for lengthy periods of time, resulting in numerous adjournments and delays to the trial. Weeks turned into months, and months turned into years. Finally, on 4th March 2023, Naftali Kinuthia confessed to the murder, changing his plea to guilty. I only left for a few meters and looking back I saw them hugging. It came to my mind that she, she was doing that on purpose. Because from how I knew her, she never did that in public. Not even in our best moments. Never saw her. At that point, that's when I, 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 I thought I lost control of myself. I was, I was too angry to think clearly. From there, it, I can't even tell when I decided to pick the axe. I, I wasn't myself. Yeah. From there, I, I can't remember exactly what transpired. I, I was told later that it had happened. The axe has always been there. As soon as I bought the car, I bought the axe for, for my security. Over the years, Ivy's family have expressed frustration towards the courts while seeking justice for their daughter. Family and friends have alleged that there was a deliberate scheme to delay hearing the case. In a media interview, her mother, Winifred Wythera, said, quote, I am a frustrated mother to a dead girl who did not die because of a road accident, who did not die because of a disease, who did not even die because of COVID-19, but died because someone just wanted to see my daughter dead." End quote. While Naftali has not yet received a final sentence, her family, 
friends, and the general public remain hopeful that her death was not in vain and that justice will prevail for Ivy and in memory of all victims of gender-based violence. Ivy's grandmother made the stunning decision to forgive her granddaughter's killer. At Ivy's funeral, she said, quote, I have forgiven in the Lord the person that did this to you, as I can't ask him a question, but God who sees everything will ask him the questions, end quote. It is crucial to recognize the signs of obsessive love and see the red flags before it's too late. Talk it through with friends and family. Seek counseling and support. And if you ever feel in danger, report it to the authorities as soon as possible. Some individuals just need the right tools to experience reciprocal love, overcome their obsessions, and lead healthier, more balanced lives. Love, in its purest form, should be nurturing and empowering, not a dangerous and destructive force. Only her killer truly knows whether his actions were an act of jealousy, momentary rage, hatred, or obsessive love. Whatever the cause, Ivy will forever remain frozen in time on the last day of her 24th year on Earth. Just hours away from turning 25, her life was forever halted by the cruel, selfish hand of twisted love. Forever young, forever in Kenya's memory. Rest in peace, Ivy Wangeshi. True Crime Kenya is produced by Picture Media. Research, writing, and editing by D.M. Noor. Narrated by D.M. Noor. Theme song by Just a Band. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Oh, 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 oh,